0: Welcome to Counterintelligence, this is Eric LeVay. Today we're joined by former FBI undercover operative Eric O'Neill, who brought down the most famous spy in American history, Robert Hansen. Forensic News thanks our Patreons Angela Jackson, Sasha Millstone, Zacharias Zscore Kaminsky, Craig Pierce, Jim Rice, and Greg Schneider. Support Forensic News and Counterintelligence on Patreon. Without further ado, here's the show. Eric O'Neill, welcome to Counterintelligence.
1: Hey, it's great to be on the show.
0: Eric, it's great to talk to you. Uh, so you're the author of the new book, uh, Gray Day. And of course, uh, while you have a very good career as a, uh, a security expert and a, a lawyer, of course, you're best known as the the person who took down Robert Hansen, the worst spy in American history. So I was just wondering if briefly you could just tell us a little bit about uh, about you and uh, you know how you took down Hansen.
1: Of course. Well, I had been in the FBI for five years when I was assigned to the Hanson case. Uh, So those who have watched the movie Breach, which is a story about me, uh, Breach makes it look like I was this novice undercover asset (laughs) who suddenly was thrown in a case. I actually had been chasing terrorists and spies for years before I was thrown in a room with Robert Hanson. So my background is as an FBI ghost. Uh, The official term was investigative specialist. I was a fully undercover operative was trained in counterintelligence and counterterrorism and counterterrorism just as a nuanced way of saying counterintelligence, mm. It's the same theory, except you're going after terrorists instead of spies. Right. And I was also trained in photography and, um, expert driving in how to follow someone without being seen disguises, all sorts of things that would allow me to clandestinely follow a target, investigate that target and never let them know I was there. So, mm-hmm. Being assigned to the Hanson case was completely and utterly different than anything I had done before in the FBI, because the FBI was asking me not to follow a target uh, using disguises and distance and telephoto lenses, but to, in fact, share an office with my target, um, work a overt job of the information assurance section for the FBI, which had been built just to trap Hanson, and then at the same time work a covert job of investigating Hanson, and learning whether he was the spy that we had been after for over two decades So it was a pretty difficult job
0: Yeah, and you know, it's, it's funny I mean, having, me having a background in, in originally in comedy there, I, I re-watched Breach and then, of course, I read your book And there's, there's just so much, I, I don't think it's just my brain There's so much like unintentional comedy in this very important story I mean, do, <laughs> do, yeah, I have a feeling you felt the same way too
1: well, here's the thing. I, before I was ever an author, and, and I have written and wanted to be published uh, since I was in, what, seventh grade, I wrote my first story, and then, you know, I'm going to be an author. Uh, <laughs> but uh, knowing that that takes time, I, I, you know, established a number of other careers before I finally got a big book published, uh. which is Gray Day. Uh, but before I was ever an author, I became a uh, public speaker, a keynote speaker. And one thing I learned really quickly, especially uh, in speaking about things like cybersecurity, which is the primary thing I get engaged to speak about, mm. is never to bore your audience. <laughs> so it, it's really important to perform when you're on stage, which means you have to make the audience laugh, even if you're talking about the next horrible Iranian cyber attack that might cripple our infrastructure and shut off our life lights, and make sure that uh, the kids can't use their iPads and you have to teach them to play board games. And so the, the point is, you know, humor is important, even when you're talking about something that heady and critical and sometimes scary. And so Grey Day reflects a lot of that humor that I've developed over the years as a
0: keynote speaker. And of course, that uh, served you well in uh, what I can, what I know from reading your book was a very stressful and uh, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend I know what that's like, that type of, st- uh, so I'm sure that that served you pretty well in that type of experience. Well,
1: certainly. You have to keep a sense of humor. Uh, otherwise, you can go nuts. Um, I, I've always felt that my ability to handle and address stress, it comes from this, I guess, in a way, a uh, fatalistic sense that there's nothing I can do about this stress right now. So there's no reason to give into it. I need to move on and I need to tackle the next problem that comes up and then the next problem that comes up. Uh, the problem is, of course, that that works in the moment, but you tend, that stress will come back at some point, And that tends to happen when you feel safe and when you feel secure and you're away from your target. And unfortunately, that's usually when you're at home with those who love you, which is why people who spend their time working undercover don't tend to stay in their marriages, which, which during the case was my biggest concern. It was actually more of a concern to me that my wife might decide that she's had enough of me. Uh, then Hanson would find me out and uh, and put a hole in my
0: head. It's it sort of. And by the way, I'm I'm the same way in terms of stress. Like I, I, if something's out of my control, I, I, I think the people who know me best would. I, I don't. Um, I, I, I don't fold easily under any type of circumstance. And uh, I, I. So, I, but you're right. I mean, it, it, the after effects for people like us can sometimes it can take a while. But if you don't talk about these things, it can really it, that can be an issue.
1: Uh, yeah and it's a it's a major issue especially for people who work uh, across the uh, the whole series of different uh, jobs and special operations whether it's the civilian world like the FBI or the Nsa or the CIA or the military world um, the PTSD can be part of it but it can also just be stress related anxiety and, and problems that follow you into life um, yeah, but that's all part of counterintelligence work
0: yeah and it's by the way it's just great to actually even though we've done about ten episodes I think you're the f- and we've had, uh, I mean, we, we had like John Cypher on who, uh, you know, was like the head of rush operations. But you, I think, are the first really uh, where counterintelligence was really like your job. That's what you did. Um, yeah.
1: So I was a field operative. Yeah. Uh, I, was, uh, I was, the analysts would find out information. The people who uh, spent their time getting chubby in an office <laughs> would task yeah. us with, with, the, with the goals. And then we would make that information actionable by going out into the field and catching the bad guys.
0: Yeah, and uh, just one more thing about the. Uh, it's funny you 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 ended up making the decision that really for your life it was more important to uh, to as you said it, you made a decision that really seemed to be based on quality of life rather than just a career. Uh, would that would that be correct? Uh,
1: yeah, that's true. I mean, I it was funny after the Hanson case. So just to back up a tiny sure. bit, the Hanson case, right? Robert Hansen, it turns out, is the most damaging spy in U.S. history, certainly the most damaging spy in FBI's history. He was an FBI agent who, very early in his career, within a few years, uh, he volunteered himself, which is a technical term in uh, in intelligence work. That means that he volunteered his services to Russia, then the Soviet Union, um, in in return for money. Uh, There's a series of reasons why he did it, but at the end of the day, he did it and then became the most damaging spy by giving up uh, information that included our nuclear secrets, our contingency of government plan, undercover oper- operations and, and operatives, and, and our biggest spies who were working for us in Russia, uh, who were flown back to Russia, and two were executed and one was in prison for a very long time. So we lost all of our intelligence coming out of Russia during the, the middle, the most important period of the Cold War. It turns out that the Russians, thanks to Hansen, also knew... Uh, the secrets about our nuclear arsenal and where we'd fire and what we do so uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of damage that he did um we've been after this guy that we called gray suit so you every every target gets a code name when you don't know who they are we didn't know where he was mm. um whether he was in the cia the fbi the nsa we only knew there was a mole in the intelligence community we didn't even know if it was a he could have just as easily been, been a she so we're going after grace and, at, and sort of fast forward 20 years, at the very end of his career, a source gives us the information that points right to Hansen. And so we give Hansen the code name Gray Day, which mm. is where I get the title of my book. That was mm. the last thing I had to ask the FBI to declassify. <laughs> and they, they had a problem. And the problem was that he was about to retire. They learned about him in December of 2000. He was going to retire, mandatory 25-year retirement, in August of 2001. So they gave him his dream job. They built a new section called the information Information assurance section. They put him in charge of it and tasked him with analyzing the FBI's, then it was called information assurance, but today it's called cybersecurity, and determining how we could build a better cyber structure for the FBI to prevent outside attacks, hacking attacks, and inside trusted insider attacks. Mm-hmm. So he, he was, he, one, fascinated by it because he'd been pounding – drums that the FBI needed this forever, and two, knew that in that position, he would have unfettered access to intelligence that he could steal and drop to the Russians in one final bang. And that's what we hoped he'd do, because we didn't have enough information to convict him uh, for espionage, which is what we needed. We only had enough for maybe conspiracy to commit, and we had to tie the Hanson that we learned about from the source to the Hansen who had done all the damage in the 80s. So where do I come in? Well, the FBI looked very hard to find an agent, a trained special agent who knew how to do these face-to-face undercover investigations to serve the role of sitting in that office with Hanson. And they couldn't find anybody who knew how to use a computer (laughs) (laughs) or do the role of cybersecurity. So they found a ghost who was, you know, I was a pretty good field operative. I, I had caught different spies before, but never in this manner. Uh, the other thing was that growing up, I was a hacker, and mostly just because in, in the 80s, growing up the 80s with the early computer systems, if you wanted your games to work, you had to learn to code. And I got very <laughs> interested in security and coding, and I always, you know, white hat, never did anything damaging or wrong or criminal, Sure. but, but I could write a program. Yeah. And so yeah. that sold the role to Hanson. I was also in law school at the time. And his, uh, his oldest son was in law school. I am Catholic. Mm. Catholicism was incredibly and somewhat ironically important to him. So we had things to talk about. Computers, Catholicism, law school, all these connections. And when you have connections, you're able to get a spy to talk. And that's what I had to do. And that's what he had to do. Mm. Because in order to find out if he was safe or not, he had to make me fail. So it was an agony of, uh, of a series of months in this in this undercover operation, and it really burned me out for the FBI in a way that um, being on the street as a ghost did not. So I chose to leave. This is probably the most long-winded answer you've ever gotten. No, no. (laughs) But but at the end of the day, that punished me in a way, and punished my relationship with my wife, and I felt that it was time to step out of the FBI, not work undercover anymore, um, save her from that, because my future in the FBI was going to be entirely undercover, and uh, see what I could do with this legal career. I'd, I'd invested you know hundreds of thousands of
0: dollars.: <laughs> No, I actually thought that was um, one of the more fascinating parts of your story. I it's not I mean, typically, as you know, it's like the opposite. People get their law degree and then apply to the FBI. And, right. And, and as you said yourself, you basically went out on top. I mean you just
1: <laughs> Yeah, I was told I was told by, yeah, I was, you know, told by um, one, an agent that I very much respected who was on the squad. Um, And he said it in a a, a way that hit me a little hard. He said, you know, most FBI employees spend an entire career in counterintelligence hoping to be even the smallest part of an operation like this, and it never comes. And you were right in the middle of it. How do you feel knowing you'll never have this kind of light on you again? (laughs) And I said, wow, you put it that way. I think it's a good idea to leave (laughs) because I want to go out on top.
0: How much do you think the FBI knew and fit you for this job, and how much do you think was just fortune that, that it worked out?
1: Well, I, I know the answer to that because I had a long talk with Gene McClelland, who was my supervisor in the Ghost Squad where I worked um, in writing Gray Day. And it turns out that he knew a lot about my ability with computer systems. I had written a number of programs for the squad. I had written full databases that did analysis. Um, time and location on our targets, and we were able to predict, which, of course, if you know counterintelligence, or so the goal of counterintelligence is to hunt threats, not just defensively wait for them to come by. So, by being able to predict where they will be in the future, you're able to hunt them. Uh, it was very successful. So, he, he, you know, it turned out back then, not a lot of people in the FBI knew much about computers, but I was the computer guy, and I'm mm. putting air quotes around those two words. <laughs> Uh, so if they 're going to bring Hansen back who was who was a real hacker I mean Hansen had penetrated the fbi 's computer systems for decades mm. uh, by hacking them that, and that 's what that 's why he was so successful. They needed their own hacker to be in that office with him otherwise i you know if i didn 't understand what he was doing, how could I know that he was doing something wrong um, so, yes, it, was, it wasn't just that. Of course, that's how they sold it to me. I, <laughs> I, they would never say until much later. But the fact that I was Catholic was real important. He wouldn't have respected me if I wasn't of the same religion as he was. It was so integral to his personality. And also, I'm a male. Yep. Uh, he, uh, he did not have a lot of respect for women as professionals.
0: So yeah, so that he... would have never worked and I, I want to highlight cuz I know you you know you do and you're going to do a million interviews and I always I I always want what we do on this show to be unique and I just want to, cuz I don't know how much you'll get into this so I want to highlight what I said at the beginning for the audience when you read Grey Day or if you go back and watch Breach which is a great movie it, every single person in the world has worked with like a creep or and there were so many yeah I mean I was just there were times where I almost fell over laughing just like he's just staring at you from his office or you turn around and his hands are on your back like the, yeah I, well I, you know
1: what Eric yeah. that that is exactly how breach came about it, really? I was having this conversation with my brother David who at that point was a uh, writer and actor in LA this is um right after I left the FBI and I couldn't tell him anything about the case. I couldn't tell him about that. This was the biggest spy. You know, I could, it it hit the media at that point. So he knew it was a spy, but I couldn't tell him anything about the mechanics of the case or what Hansen did or anything that was still classified. So what I told him about was those things, that he was a creepy (laughs) boss, that he was always in my face, that he would call me an idiot and a moron. And you know, in that, that, that escalating scale. Right. And, uh, you know, that, he, and there were other things he did that I didn't even put in the book because it's just, sure. you know, I, I wanted to save his family. Hmm. Um, and it, my brother looked at me and said, are you telling me that you not only had the creepiest, weirdest, <laughs> worst, most horrible boss in history, and it turns out he was the biggest spy in U.S. history, we uh. have to make a movie. <laughs> and that's how Breach came about.
0: Hey, we're in L.A. too. That's so fantastic uh, that to hear that your brother's and I, I mean, I knew he was an actor from your book, but that's that's a great story.
1: Uh, yeah and that's that's really I, I never thought it would happen i I thought that it would be good for my brother that he would get in rooms with producers and and make contact and meet people and, uh, and and it it it's just like a snowball going downhill and picking up size momentum it, it just started to happen and and suddenly it was real and I and I expected it to happen and I was a little nervous because While right now, you can find out pretty much anything you want about me. I mean, I just wrote what's essentially a memoir Mm -hmm. um, that reads like a spy thriller, of course, which is what I wanted to do. Um, I have a LinkedIn page and a web page, and I'm a public speaker, and I stand up in front of crowds all over the world. I used to be a very quiet uh, person who no one knew about. Mm. Um, Any presence I had online was using fake names. I I, I didn't want to be known. That That was how I was trained. That's how I lived, to be covert. Um, and breach really catapulted me into the world in a way that I wasn't ready for.
0: And they did a great job. I mean, just uh, I know the movie has been out for some years, but I, I when I watched it again, uh, obviously Chris Cooper was phenomenal, and Ryan Phillippe. They they did a smart thing in that movie, and I know, of course, you. I know you had a lot of input, uh, and I'm sure your brother too. But the they the, the there wasn't too much on the outside lives, which I think while that was in, the dynamic really was about the two of you and it was just what's said and what's not said. And I just thought when I read your book that they really kept, it was very well captured in the movie. Uh, Yeah.
1: And I think that the way Billy Ray put it is it's an, it's sort of an allegory to the, uh, the two men in a boat that Mm. is that picture that is there, right? Um, That it's two men in a room. It really is. And what the story was about when you boil it down was only one of these two guys is coming out of that room. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the one was going to get arrested, or and the other, you know, or not, and the other is going to get shot, or not. But 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 in in any way, one of their lives was going to be utterly destroyed at the end of this case. So who was going to win? You know, the old seasoned grizzled guy, or the or right. the young, uh, the young upstart. Yeah, and I think that's that's how Breach portrayed it.
0: Yeah, you didn't. Um, I don't think you ever brought this up. And I, I hadn't thought about it till right now. But I really wonder if a lot of his, um, his abusive, just absurd, uh, out of line behavior was also started from the minute he saw you when he realized that I mean, obviously, you've look, you you were in the FBI, you have a law degree, you're very successful. I wonder if from the first moment he saw you as someone who's good at reading things, he said, this guy is everything that maybe I'm. I'm not. And that pissed him off. Well, uh,
1: yeah, I don't. I think it was more about control and power. Oh. So control and power was very important to Hanson. Uh, it, it was important that he exerted his dominance on him, on me. But he also, he also only had one point of attack. There was no one else he had access to <laughs> that he could attack to find out whether this was an undercover operation to catch him, or he was actually given his dream job in the twilight of his career. His hubris wanted him to believe that the FBI has finally recognized me for my brilliance. Right. And he w- he was such a narcissist that he allowed himself to be susceptible to that. But on the other hand, of course, he had to have thought, he had to be suspicious right? coming into the case that this was a trap. And the only person he had to attack to find out whether he was safe or not was me. And so he did. And his... You know, the weird sexual stuff, the the mean things he'd say, the way he'd act, uh, it was all to put me off balance. And it continued until there was a point where everything clicked and he felt that he could trust me. And then for the most part, it stopped. Um, And then once, once, of course, he felt he could trust me, he started to recruit me. Mm. And the the squad was very interested in getting me to, to push that as much as I could, to get him to recruit me to take over. For him. Um, and I think he truly wanted to do that. It was, he had some point, I think, I, I use superhero analogies all the time. It makes some of my, <laughs> my audiences groan. But I really think he wanted a, Bat, a Robin to his Batman, right? He wanted someone who could learn from him because he felt like he was this master who, had, who was the greatest spy in U.S. history. He, he'd done this for so long and there was no one he could show his genius to.
0: I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And that's, by the way, superhero analogies are great. I don't know who, who doesn't love that. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's...
1: You should see some faces when I the, the, people ask about you, Supermax Penitentiary in Florence, Colorado, where Hanson will spend the rest of his life. It's one of the most miserable mm. prisons on Earth. But I, I always compare it to Arkham Asylum, which, of
2: course, is oh, another
1: Batman reference. Of course. And, uh, and I get a lot of smiles, but I also get some blanks there. So I usually have to explain
0: it. You know, wow. I mean, if, I would say... if. From your perspective, if I was giving a speech and I got a little cold response, I would just uh, say, uh, you know, excuse me, uh, did, did you catch the greatest spy in history? Because if not, let me, let me, let me do my thing here. <laughs> Might not yeah, go over well. I,
1: I just move on.
0: <laughs> That's, hey, you're like, you're uh, performing must be something. I mean, you said your brother's an actor. I guess that is something maybe that you share in your family.
1: You know, uh, it's funny you said that because I was actually thinking about this earlier today in that when, you know, someone who is providing a keynote – someone who is providing uh, who is a public speaker Uh, you know we you think of that person as something like an academic but that's not really the same as being a teacher you are a performer you stand up on a stage you have an audience and my audiences can be everything from 500 CEOs to like a massive uh, industry conference of 3,000 people and often it's also live streamed to tens of thousands of people at the same time right I have to perform to every one of those people, so yeah. I have to I have to figure out my crowd. I have to learn them. Uh, I have to give them in you know interesting things that they want. I have to make sure they stay engaged, which is why I use humor. Um, but at the end of the day, I can't just stand there behind a podium with PowerPoint and expect that I'm going yeah. to do well. Yeah,
0: and I also wanted to highlight something you said, which I found interesting in the book, which was it's in the movie, I think too. Uh, from the from almost day one, he. Like he asked you to steal a painting and he, it's just seemed like, I mean, that's a very big deal. Like you could get kicked out of the FBI for anything like that. Right. Uh, He asked
1: me to steal three pieces of art from an assistant director's conference room. I I mean, yeah, that's a huge deal. You don't do that. I mean, first of all, I had no business being on the seventh floor where the director was and, and all the brass. Right. So I had to go do it late at night when no one was around. Uh, and then, of course, I had to talk to Rich Garcia, who ran ops, you know, like, you need to do something about the cameras or something, because <laughs> the sold guys art. I hung the pictures in the office, you know, you know? but I felt kind of cool, too. Yeah. I felt the same way doing that, that I felt, you know, when I went lights and sirens around the Capitol Beltway in order to <laughs> catch up to a bad guy, you know, kind yeah. of like, I'm allowed to break these rules. And there's something kind of awesome about that. Um, the fact that he asked me to steal that art, I think was a challenge to see if I do it. You know, it's yeah. kind of like the the criminal will, will you do this little thing and then, oh, okay, so yeah. now I can trust you uh, and maybe we'll move into something bigger. So it, 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 it titillated everybody that I did it. I also asked that the assistant director not be told about it because I just wanted to see his face when he walked in the office and saw the art.
0: I, yeah, like, I was just blown away. I, that was so clear what he was doing. It's like, and that was like on day, I mean, it was right in the beginning. It was very clear. L- I'm going to corrupt this guy. I mean, if that had been a legitimate thing and you did it, you could have obviously lost your job and gone to jail. Probably if you weren't, Oh, certainly, uh, undercover.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like Hanson was doing his best to give me all sorts of things, all sorts of chapters for a great book later <laughs> in my life.
0: I know. Uh, I know that you requested permission to. You've never talked to him since that day. I mean, since you worked, since you went undercover, right? Uh,
1: I haven't. I've requested permission twice, and uh, uh, the first time I was denied because he was he was still they were still trying to get him to plead guilty, and they were afraid. and And what they told me was, I think this is a quote: "We're afraid that if he learns that it was you." betrayed him he will rattle the bars of his cage yeah will clam up lawyer up and won't work with us anymore and we're very close to a guilty plea so unfortunately that first request was denied and that would have been easy because he was just in a um, federal penitentiary in uh, Pennsylvania the second time uh was was during while I was writing gray day I wanted that last chapter which by the way I love my epilogue Mm. It's a conversation with my brother, and it's basically that conversation that led to um, deciding to make a movie, although, you know, it, 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 we talk about something else in that conversation. Mm. Um, uh, but I wanted that conversation to be that final conversation with Hanson, or e- even the attempt to try to get in and see him, because I, I truly thought that he would, I would fly all the way to Florence, Colorado, and then at the last minute he would say, I don't want to see him, I don't mm. want to see him, and jerk me around for a few days, because sure because I could, you know, it's power. He just need that would give him something he doesn't have right now, a little bit of power. But, um, I, I, I couldn't, it wasn't that they denied me. They, the FBI said, this isn't our business. You know, you'd have to, I guess, check with the Bureau of Prisons or something. I tried his attorney, his attorney laughed at me. And, uh, yep. I just, I just had too much work to do to get the book done. I will, I will get in there though. I, I found the former head of the Bureau of Prisons <laughs> and I'm talking with him and I, I, I want to get over there and, I can tell you, Eric, that the thought of sitting down in front of Hanson uh, uh, scares the living daylights out of me. I um, even, even now, twenty some years later, huh. I, I worry about sitting down in front of him and feeling like that twenty-six-year-old um, uh, who 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 was really lost in this uh, big case that he wasn't ready for, um, desperate to win at all costs.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, how do you think he would feel in that moment?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know what his mental sanity is right now. Yeah, um, he's been he's been isolated for so long. There might not be much left of his brain. It might wow. be mush. Um So uh, bec- because it does drive you into psychosis when you have no human contact. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of hoping to, to get in there before there isn't anything left.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh... <sighs> Look, the man is 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 a traitor of the worst kind. So many people were killed because of what he did, and at the same time, I not to get off on a tangent about our prison system, but that I don't know that seems wrong, even for somebody. I like would, him. Ra- yeah, I would
1: certainly rather be dead. But yeah. uh, he he did it to himself. He yeah. chose to not cooperate anymore, and uh, did it pretty forcefully. Yeah. And so uh, the threat was, well, then you're going to be dumped here because we can't have you in a population where you can give information to people because That's... he could recruit someone. He still knows it a lot. Yeah, he um, does. There was another spy, uh, Jim Nicholson, who's the CIA spy we caught before Hanson. He, uh, he was in a, um, a prison, uh, I think that same federal penitentiary in Pennsylvania, you know, lower security. He could have yeah. visitors. Um, And he had, I think, 25 years for conspiracy to commit espionage. We caught him at an airport with a bunch of secrets. He was trying to leave the country. Um, He recruited his son who started uh, visiting him. And then his son started taking trips to Moscow. I mean, the FBI pays attention to these things. And he was sending his son to Moscow to connect with his former contacts in intelligence Hmm. And try to recover his Moscow fund, which every spy who works for Russia, actually every spy who works for any any foreign intelligence service, um, you get your money here, but you also get money that they say they're depositing in an account for you, you know, which is your slush fund in case you have to run and live the rest of your life in, in that country. Right. So, you know, they all have millions. I mean, Hansen has millions of dollars in a Moscow account, right, that he that he'll never access. Um, yeah. He was trying to send his son to go get it. Of course, the FBI investigated. Then his son ended up in the cell right next to him <laughs>
2: for wow. conspiracy
1: he was given to give an estimate. Dodge. right. And uh, then uh, the son was pled against the father. And now uh, he's gone from 25 years for conspiracy to life imprisonment.
0: I had no idea that spies had their own type of, uh, you know, like Social Security. Uh, over there
1: yeah Yeah, exactly when you know they the foreign (laughs) intelligence services we do it here too the CIA will do it yeah um when you recruit a spy they'll say okay we're giving you this money here's your cash um you know but if you know just so you know your account in the United States is now up to x amount you know Russians do it everybody does it it's old it's old spy game
0: (laughs) that's that's so the money is well probably Putin probably stole it by now uh, oh, you'll
1: they, never! They, you've, everyone laughs at it because it's not like you'll ever see that, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I was, I wanted to turn to. Uh, I want to, if, I, if we could get your expertise on, uh, so sort of some current events. Uh, sure. Um, in regards to the Mueller investigation, uh, we know that, and um, I mean this in a non-political sense. I'm purely from your your expertise as a, in counterintelligence. We we know that the FBI had a. An active counterintelligence investigation into the Trump administration, and we know that also that, if I understood Mr. Mueller correctly, that is ongoing. My my question to you, mm-hmm. as someone who is a part of this, the most sensitive type of thing, how does how do you conduct that type of investigation?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. So to, to and I, I appreciate that we're keeping politics out. Of yeah. it because I always try to stay out of politics because uh, that is a. Uh, a quick dive into a well of lunacy, yes. uh, especially today yeah. uh, as an investigator, yes. as a lifelong investigator, a trained investigator, I like to stick with the facts sure, um, and avoid conspiracies. Although sometimes in counterintelligence, you have to attack a conspiracy just to find the facts and destroy the conspiracy. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I think what is happening right now in the justice department and what Mueller alluded to isn't what most people think. Mm-hmm. What is happening right now and I think this is what may have backfired a bit for the Democrats in, in you know, pulling Mueller up and mm. making such a big thing of, mm. the, um, of the investigation, is that now there is another investigation um, by Trump's Justice Department to look mm. into how um, all of this came about. The problem is that um, it appears mm. that the FBI, Comey's FBI, relied on the Steele dossier, which um, Mueller didn't want to talk about,
0: and I understand
1: why it's very toxic. Uh, I've read the dossier; it is absolutely horrible. There is a reason mm. that um, that uh, Steele, Christopher Steele went into hiding after it came out, after BuzzFeed um, released it, because it it reads like um, a textbook Russian what we call compromat that starts with a K. Mm. The fake stories the Russians put together to spread disinformation, literally what they were doing in our social media during the 2016 election to cause so much chaos. Um, you know, it's, It looks like it was force fed to him and then he passed it off as opposition research. Investigators have to deal in facts. There are not a lot of facts in there. Of course, it was paid for by the Clinton campaign. It became uh, partial, part of the basis for a lot of the investigation. But to be
0: fair, i was um, oh, sorry to interrupt you. It was started by Republicans not to... Uh, it, it was uh, started
1: yeah. by, yes, yeah, and then quickly dropped sure. and then picked up and paid for it. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, you but, know, it's, that, it, it's those connections that are troublesome. It, you know, a counterintelligence investigation can... Mm. The thing about a counterintelligence investigation is you can really go very deeply and far. Um, when you have that warrant to investigate, you can destroy a person's life um, without them actually even knowing, which is amazing. Mm. Um, so I was always very wary when everything that I did when I was undercover was a Title III investigation. Yeah. Um, it's, but when it was an American, uh, I was extremely concerned because you have to give that person the benefit of the doubt or you will find them guilty. Everybody, everybody has done bad things. Um, and bias can completely destroy an investigation. So I think what Mueller is talking about is that mm. uh, that kind of counter-investigation that's happening now um which is obviously being pushed by the the trump administration Mm. which is partisan on the other side right um so so we might have more to drop there um you know looking at the whole thing i think i said even before gray day even before Mueller started Mm. that we would not find collusion um the the reason for that is the russians had no there was no point you always look for the simplest explanation right Mm. the russians had no reason to collude with anybody um, because what they were doing is trying to completely uh, sow chaos and widen a political divide that we created ourselves here in the United States. Um, and, and if we're fighting with each other, we're not projecting our democracy across the rest of the world. And then Putin has an opportunity to move in and, and push his form of government and, and control
0: as an investigator, let me ask you this, though. The the behavior displayed by, you know, and not to go on and on about this, but I'm interested because mm-hmm. this is what you, you do. and The behavior displayed by all those people in his campaign, and uh, wouldn't that strike your, like, Paul Manafort, you know, giving polling data to a, a known, a probable Russian intelligence operative? Wouldn't that kind of set your, your alarms off if you were an investigator? Oh, certainly. Yeah
1: i think that yeah as they as the investigation so there's a reason the investigation didn't just look at uh just start start and then stutter and fail Mm -hmm. i mean it muller kept his team kept uncovering Mm -hmm. information that that was worrisome and Mm -hmm. it is very concerning um but does that mean that anyone in the campaign asked the russians for help uh you, you know in in and specifically colluded in order to try to get to try to get the Trump campaign to win over the Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. campaign. Uh, well, we know that that's not true because that report, the all four hundred some pages of the report, um, it, it states unequivocally that that was not what happened, or that he was clear there wasn't sufficient evidence to prosecute. Right? Because that's what a prosecutor does—they look for whether there is evidence that could lead to a prosecution. But what's really important about that report? Mm-hmm. What's critical about that report? What I wish that everyone would put the politics aside and mm. realize is important, pressing, and we need to deal with now
2: mm.
1: is the fact that Russia interfered to mm. an extraordinary amount in our election. I mean, they really interfered in every facet of the election um, and, uh, and, and was able to be most successful by exploiting this, this insane dependence on social media that we have. Uh, and this this belief and trust in everything that we see um it's clever espionage and it shows a lot of what i read about in gray day that espionage has completely evolved and changed and we're just not ready for it the 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 american people turns out the government's getting better i mean our fbi and cia and nsa and our spies but um but we were completely fooled we being the american people during that election and we have to stop the russians because they are they are just, uh, you know, like the evil guy with the mustache, just rubbing his hands together in front of his face, waiting for twenty twenty.
0: I completely agree, and um, I actually really just have one more question. As an attorney, the, uh, you know, you tell me what you think. The my my confusion is that as as someone who's pretty knowledgeable about this stuff, the 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 hundreds of just strange and and just unusual contacts with. Shady characters from Russia. That seemed to be at odds with. There seemed to be a standard set that was: Did they collude with the Russian government? That seemed to be. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't, like it seemed like short of a signed contract, that the answer was no. I mean, is that kind of an unreasonable standard? Uh, well, or am I just yeah. So this?
1: no, I think that there are plenty of of secondary and tertiary contacts. So mm-hmm. is the is the Trump campaign colluding? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, I think people that worked with Trump had Russian contacts mm-hmm. and what happened was a number of them lied about them and uh you know, and were convicted of perjury.
2: Yeah.
1: Which is where you where you saw all of the um Americans who were um indicted out of that out of that investigation it was mostly for perjury. Mm. Um You you know, and it does concern me. We do need to be concerned about it. And it's the reason that the the investigation had to continue to go forward. Right. Um, Because you have to, I mean, once you start, you have to find out whether whether we have a serious problem. And if we did find out that a sitting president was on the phone with Putin saying, hey, look, you need me to win because, and this would be collusion, right? Mm. You need me to win because I'll be nicer to you than than she will, than (laughs) Hillary will. Ah, uh, do everything you can. And, I mean, if we had found out, that, that would have been real serious. But it yeah. turned out that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, I, I just I lied. I do have one more question because you you keep bringing sure. you keep inspiring me to ask him. Uh, as a as a investigator and a lawyer, what? Why would someone lie about those contacts if there was not something very wrong there? Uh, what do you? think? Yeah,
1: either you know you never know. <sighs> Lying, you never know whether they lied or they just didn't uh, didn't state it on a form or they were a question and they didn't think about it or Mm. they they thought no one would know about it. um, And this would make me look bad, whether they had the best intentions. A lot of people were dealing with business relations Mm. with Russia. And then there was, of course, the great meeting at Trump Tower, which I think had that not happened, this investigation wouldn't Mm. have had the same footing that it that it did where uh, people who should have known better were sitting down with Russian operatives um, who, who really trapped them. And I, I sometimes wonder whether uh, Russian intelligence in sitting down with Trump's son and, mm. uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to trap the, uh, the campaign into uh, something that would be very compromising later mm. in case Trump won, because that's what they really want to do you know it's not just what they stole from the dnc and the hillary campaign Mm. i think putin truly believed hillary would win i mean the entire world thought she would, right we sat there that night watching the election results come in and everyone was shocked yeah i think even trump was shocked right (laughs) um (laughs) and uh, oh yeah i mean i and and putin must have been like what just happened we just spent all this time collecting all this intelligence on Hillary's campaign so that we could undermine her during, you know, the next four to eight years. And, and now we can throw that all out because this guy just won. But he probably also said, well, well might be nicer if he won. So, it's, you know, it's sort of a win-win for him. Um, but it's not just what they stole and dumped on WikiLeaks, yeah. because that certainly happened, showing you that WikiLeaks, which I call the fast food of spying, is, uh, is certainly not a, a journalistic enterprise, right? They're working with the Russians. They might even be a Russian front. Yeah. Um, uh, To weaponize the information that the Russians stole, right? It, you know, it's also, we, we have to wonder, what did they keep in their pocket for later? Uh, which, which now, of course, they're not going to be able to use.
0: Yeah, I interviewed um, Rob Goldstone, who, <laughs> to his misfortune, set up that Trump Tower meeting, and that was actually one of my favorite yeah i know the he, the guy who doesn't use email to this day uh
1: yeah you know it's funny if they had somebody who who had even an inkling of counterintelligence who knew i mean that campaign was so disorganized right uh yeah. you know it trump just sort of grabbed on a a a zeitgeist in the united states that 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 gave him momentum and and got him going um, and, and use social media in a way that I don't think a Republican ever has before. Um, but his, orga- his campaign was pretty disorganized, and yeah. I don't think they had the people who, you know, if I had been, if I'd been on, on his campaign, I would have said, whoa, everybody, don't take that meeting. What's the matter with you? Right. you know, this is not going to look good. You, not only are you taking this meeting, you're taking it in the middle of Trump Tower <laughs> where there are cameras on the door 24-7 and they're identifying every single person who were, walks in and out because this is your New York White House. Yeah. I, I mean, the Russians must have known this, right? Yeah. Which is the biggest suggestion to me that they did this to set them up. Um, they know that they're going to. They know they're going to be identified. They know everyone's going to know about the meeting. Everyone's going to learn about the meeting. It's going to look really bad. Mm. And these dopes took the meeting, as, you know, they, and they never should have.
0: Yeah. No, and well, I mean, but you're an ethical person. You would never be within 100 miles or something like that. Um,
1: oh, God, no. No, 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 no. That, I mean, the, these kind of things, it's these sort of sneaky things, they come back to bite you. Nothing stays hidden. I mean, I, I was a spy hunter. You, my, my whole job was uncovering these things that people want to hide. Um, now I'm an investigator. I do the same thing. Nothing stays hidden. It's, it's better to be on the side of the angels than, than try to take a shortcut.
0: And I'll just stay for the record, and then I want to ask you about um, election security and stuff. But I, to this day, I don't – just uh, for our audience, I, I don't understand why the b- behavior displayed in the contact did not constitute uh, a conspiracy. I guess some of that is maybe things I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll find out someday. I, it just seemed like the standard of, of a – con short of, like I said, a signed contract or video was – there was not enough um, – I don't, I don't get it, but – that's
1: yeah well collusion is so collusion uh is a very high bar legally yeah i knew no one was ever going to find collusion because that's very that would be very difficult you would need something very definitive um conspiracy well i mean there are a million conspiracies out there each one greater than the next and anyone and everyone does i mean Mm -hmm. late night news just just lives off conspiracy theories um trump himself loves conspiracy theories right Uh, You know, you can't really prosecute someone for a conspiracy theory. You must have hard facts. Mm. And there's a good thing behind that, right? We want a prosecutor's life to be hard. We don't want it to be easy (laughs) to prosecute someone because then you destroy someone's life. Uh, You know, there are plenty of countries out there that, for example, Russia, where, you know, you get prosecuted for nothing. Ask that poor ex-Marine Martin who's just sitting in a Russian prison. Yeah. Because they planted a, a, a thumb drive on him and said he's a spy. I mean, that's just, that, that's just Putin angry that we rolled up one of their spies, Maria Butina. Yeah. And so they grabbed some poor guy that's over there in Russia as a tourist mm. um, that you know used to be a Marine. And so he looks like someone who could be working with the CIA. And they, they trump up these charges. We want, we want the system of law to be difficult. Um, otherwise, we get what you have in Russia. Um, yeah. which, as an aside, I had to tell my wife, who speaks Russian and has <laughs> been to St. Petersburg and Moscow and whatever, that I will never set foot in that country because uh, the, the, I, I don't want to deal with the shenanigans that will probably happen.
0: You, you, oh, I, uh, from your perspective? And, and, yeah, the whole thing with that, I don't, um it's been a while since I read about that case, but it was fairly obvious he's not, uh, I mean, he, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but there was definitely some, might have been some legal issues in his past. I, he didn't seem like a, a spy. Um, uh, no,
1: there, there's, no, not, you, never, you, not pretty typical, right. I,
0: uh, yeah. you know, you've been very generous with your time. I I really want to ask you about a security because that's what you do. I mean, sure. how can we safeguard uh, the next election? How do you, how would you do it if you're in charge? Uh,
1: I think that there ha- there is a lot of steps. There's a there's a long answer to that question, uh, <laughs> but I will try to keep it brief. Just a few points. One, we have to get a hold of our election security. So, but what I mean by that is, you know, the Senate report just came out that there were there were attempts uh, to um, investigate how uh, you could compromise the election systems in all fifty states. Uh, this, by the way, isn't anything new. Sure. We've known this since um, you know, uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the election, there were there were plenty, plenty of what we call probing attacks. These are just to try to figure out if there's a way to get in, and uh, and alter votes or or cause chaos, which is what the Russians love to do. By the way, the Iranians were also very involved in that election. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of went under the radar, but and they certainly hate the heck out of us right now. So we can expect that they will be involved in 2020. Um, We we need to do a lot more to secure the cybersecurity of the uh, state-run election systems, uh, especially when those systems are using computer systems or are connected to the Internet, and that's Mm -hmm. where it gets scary. The good news for the United States is that we are an extraordinarily decentralized election system, which is why it always takes forever to get all the votes counted. Um, Every different state Every different jurisdiction in every state, you know, uses different voting systems. So it would be very hard for a Russia uh, to to actually cause major um, changes that would that could possibly change a vote. It, it's just it's just very difficult. I would concentrate on the battleground states. I know they were very uh, active in Florida, which was which which was a, a pretty important state during that election. I would concentrate um, a, a lot of additional cybersecurity in those locations, but we also have to really analyze how, what voting systems we're using, and whether they're vulnerable, and do that threat hunting to find out whether someone is coming after them. Second, we got to get ahead of the um, the mess that the Russians made with our uh, social media, and I mentioned this earlier, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dummy accounts and troll farms, um, their Internet research agency, which, by the way, ha-ha, 2018, during the midterm election, our cyber command shut them off the Internet. Mm. That is, by the way, awesome. We need to do a lot more of that uh, cyber attack, cyber warfare that we're fighting right now. Mm. But we we need to get ahead of that somehow. I think that the populace has to be better informed that everything you read on Facebook and everything you see on Twitter um, is probably not true. Uh, <laughs> you know, find better places to get your news. Um, and then finally, our, our campaigns really have to do better in their cybersecurity. Um, you know, one of the reasons that the Hillary Clinton campaign was attacked to such an extent is their cybersecurity was pathetic. Yeah. Um, you know, there the the chairman of the Hillary can- Clinton campaign was using a Gmail account. Now, I love Gmail, right? <laughs> I do. I use Gmail for my uh, for my public speaking. I, sure. I, you know, it's an easy account. It's very well respected. Gmail is taking great steps for security within their own platform. But he should have been using using an encrypted HillaryClinton.com dot com right uh, campaign email address. Uh, he wasn't. He was using a Gmail account that had all of his emails stored going back to like two thousand three, which mm-hmm. all were handed over to the Russians when they attacked his account and. He did not have two-factor authentication turned on yep. because he wanted his uh, chief of staff and one of his assistants to have access to his email um, I, for God knows what reason. I guess really important people like their assistants to have access to their email. <laughs> I never understood that. Um, so he couldn't have. If he had had two-factor authentication turned on, then we wouldn't. You know, that sixty thousand of his emails wouldn't have been dumped on WikiLeaks. Um, so. Uh, you, you know, we got to get better at that. These campaigns, anyone who wants to protect information has to spend the investment on good cybersecurity and have people who are trained in cybersecurity to continue with hunting threats. So it's, it's what I've been saying all along. We need more counterintelligence in cybersecurity. Otherwise, we're not going to get head, ahead of the spies who are now launching the cyber attacks.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right on the money. I mean, my my recollection is that there was at least one FBI agent who was calling her campaign for weeks and not even getting a call back like about, hey, you've, you've been hacked. Uh, yeah,
1: they were warned. Well, first they were warned. All of the campaigns were warned yeah. that Russia and and perhaps others is going to be coming after the campaigns. So please be, be wary and step up your security. And, and then, uh, you know, the FBI probably through, you know, different means than the FBI, but they learned that the, uh, that information was leaving the campaign through a server and they called, they tried to call and, and say, Hey guys, something's wrong. And finally someone paid attention to the call and they, and then they looked and they found out that they had been just, uh, losing information. So
0: yeah. yeah, I just don't get it to this day. I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like when I read your book and you're reading some of the, uh, like <laughs> some of the information security issues at the FBI, even before you work, or even while you were there, you, you just kind of shake your head. How could, how could such smart people make such mistakes?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, we, we always take, you know, even those of us who do security and not me personally, mm. um, but, but there are companies that do security who take security, their own security, it it tends to be lax, right? Mm. I think that people in generally don't general, don't think about their security, whether it's, personal security, right? I mean, you could boil this all the way down to people just walking into traffic because they're looking at their phone, right? Or they're, you know, with earbuds in their their ears. I mean, what happened to knowing about who's around you and your surroundings, right? Right. I I mean, I've spent a lifetime learning martial arts and part of that, right, Mm. in self-defense is know who's near you. Don't let people get too close. People who are close can touch you and if they can touch you, they can hurt you. Um, Cybersecurity is something that is so archaic to people that they don't even think about it or or it's too hard for them to think about. But it, but there are very basic things that people can do and it's something that I try to bring into all of my keynotes just to just to get get the message out that we, we need to worry about what happens online because it's not this happy little place that we go and Google <laughs> search things. It's more like the old West where if yeah. you're not careful you will step on a rattlesnake and it will bite you and you will lose that limb.
0: You've you've seen it yourself. I know I know you have and so have I. For sure. Uh, yeah. Eric, I, I really just want to ask you one more question, which is: uh, What nation is going to be the greatest threat to to counterintelligence? To arc, what nation is? Are is it China, Russia? Uh, what do you think?
1: Uh, I, I get this question a lot, and uh, it changes every time I answer okay. based on based on the intelligence that I'm looking at and and the threats as I see it. Uh, you know, I've called for a long time. I have called China and Russia the one A and one B. You know, they're both up there and they flip-flop. Sometimes uh, Russia is the 1A, sometimes China is the 1B. I think if we're looking long-term as a threat, as a true uh, systemic threat to the United States, to our, to our security, to our, our technology, to our innovation, I think it's China. I think that they just um, are, are pushing not only a, a massive theft, of of u s. innovation mm. uh, and and brain power and to to steal. I, I think that they are also trying to do it as a means of improving their economy and as a uh, as a um, secondary attack on our economy. Mm. So I worry about much about I worry a lot about that. I think that China, unlike russia, who who can be very much a smash and grab operation in intelligence, China takes the long term look at things. The Chinese are interesting. they're They're different than we are in that we all think of what we can do in our lifetime. I, hmm. I mean, hell, in the u s, we we tend to think of what's going to happen in the next four years of whatever term of president we have, right? Hmm. We, we We don't think long term. I mean, some of us do, like like those who are trying to get us to Mars, right? But <laughs> for the most part, we try tend to think what happens in just our lifetime. because if we thought down the road, to what's going to happen in our children's lifetime or our grandchildren's lifetime, we would be worried about things like the collapse of social security and Medicare and those sort of things that are about Mm. to happen. Right. But nobody cares. We just sign these massive bills and increase the deficit and nobody thinks about it. Um, The Chinese, they don't think in terms of their lifetime. They think in terms of the state and that it continues for hundreds of years. So they might steal intelligence thinking they'll use it 10 years down the road. Mm. You know, they might, instead of, of weaponizing intelligence so we learn there's a breach, they may have penetrated systems where they're just quietly continuing to collect things and never using it mm. so that we never know it's there. So I do worry about that. And I worry about that because the future warfare will not be fought with tanks and guns. It's going to be fought in cyberspace. We're already fighting it. I mean, mm. the Cyber Command just attacked Iran wow. um, and was able to shut down their military command and control systems. I mean, good for us. You know, that's like, The movie Top Gun happened Mm -hmm. in five seconds, right? Um, So, uh, you know, we do have to worry about that. Russia, on the other hand, is the more immediate threat. So if I was going to say in the next five years, Russia, you know, long-term China, I think Russia right now is preparing to really mess with us in the 2020 election. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. People think that Russia is such a friend to Trump, but Trump, you know, as much as he likes to buddy-buddy up with Putin when they're together, has not his, his, um, the, the Trump uh, administration has not been very nice to Russia. Um, they've done a lot of things that have really pissed Putin off. And if he really wanted to sow chaos, uh, he would try to push the uh, the presidency into somebody on the other side, and we'd have a complete flip flop of administration and uncertain economy. Um, you know, you never know what they're going to do, and that's what's really. Uh, confusing and difficult for counterintelligence because we have to try to predict these things. Because if you can't predict them, you can't stop them. Um, But what I can say for sure is that they're coming after us. And and between, you know, it started in the 2016 election, and they have not stopped working to try to figure out how to get us. Um, And they're going to try, so we need to stop them.
0: Yeah, and I'll say uh, just just on that, and then, uh, again, I really want to thank you so much for coming in. And, again, uh, everybody, the book is called... Gray Day, uh, it's you wouldn't believe it was true, except it is true. Uh, <laughs> and the movie Breach, of course, uh, which came out some years ago. Um, uh, get both of them. Oh, and Eric, you run, of course, a private firm, right? I mean, that's what you do for security?
1: Yeah, so so I run a company called the Georgetown Group, which is an investigative services company out of Washington, D.C., Although we work internationally, um, mostly in spy hunting and trust and diligence work. Um, and uh, you can always find me on Twitter at e O'Neill. I might not like social media, but I use it. <laughs> um, I'm good at answering questions there. If anybody would like to ask me one,
0: and I'll just say uh, closing. Just going back to what you said, uh, what what I saw at the Helsinki Summit uh, visually told me, um, in my opinion, what happened and what what I think um, the th- the real threat is. And I'll just that that was terrifying to me. But uh, I, I certainly hope you're right that that it's uh, not what I think it is. Um, I, uh, but, uh, again, I I really want to thank you for coming on and, uh, I, I, you know, I hope we can do this again, maybe sometime out in LA. Thank you for listening. Follow forensic news on Twitter at forensic news net counterintelligence is at Intel pod. My personal account is Eric LeVay support forensic news on Patreon, subscribe to counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay and this is counterintelligence.